0: Ram Damas Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 16 A Crack in the Universe. Pete Barrett and Walter started, waited under a long canopy that had been set up along the spaceport runway. The rain had been falling steadily all day and into the night. Started was very tense, standing rigidly and hardly moving at all. Barrett was not much better. He smoked cigarette after cigarette. Dr. Savard's spaceship was long overdue. Sure you're right, Peter. How many damn times do I have to argue the point? Everyone will come to the same conclusion we have. Savard knows the pressure we're under. Do we really have to have a unison vote on this? Peter, would you please? This isn't going to be a vote. I just want it said that the problem was discussed. Good God! The press learns even years from now that I've made a decision for launch without consulting anyone. Besides, a combined look at this issue might give us new insights into something Savad might have overlooked. He's the expert, not us. If you're insistent on precipitating arguments, then kindly be quiet. I'm sorry, said Barrett, inhaling the smoke. What about Kellogg? You said you were going to get him off the base. I didn't have to. The general's already been scheduled to leave the base. Worked out better than we could have hoped. Good, good. If he ever asked why, he wasn't included, smiled started. I'm going to tell him. Tell him what? Smiled Barrett. Tell him he's got a damn big mouth. Oh, yeah, I want to see that. I'll start planning your funeral. I'll do the eulogy personally. No, oh, I am sure you will, quip started as an aide came running under the canopy. Started turned. Yes, Sergeant, what is it? The doctor's ship is circling the spaceport, Mr. Director. It will be landing momentarily. Excellent. Thank you, Sergeant, he replied, turning to Barrett. About time, AP. All the money we spent on computers, you'd think they'd at least get these ships here on time. I could have told you that, said Barrett, pointing down the runway. The ship was about half the size of a small jet. It moved out of the clouds following the computer signals as it floated like any atmospheric craft toward the runway lights. This craft, however, had come through thousands of miles in airless space. The touchdown was perfect, moisture thrown into the air and the vehicle taxied toward the canopy. With the engines winding down, the ship slowed to a stop. Savard was already standing in the hatchway when it opened. The doctor was wearing a light white brown jumpsuit with a white turtleneck. He moved down the stairs. One of the flight attendants quickly placed an umbrella over his head as he moved under the canopy. "'Mr. Director,' he said, shaking Stoddard's hand. "'Good to see you both in the flesh,' gripped Barrett's hand. "'How is your flight, doctor?' asked Stoddard. "'I've been sleeping so much I feel as though I could stay awake all evening. Incidentally, my computer tapes are on board.' Sergeant, have your men bring all of the doctor's equipment up to the administration room. Yes, sir, said the sergeant, and he began diverting his own men to the spaceship. Right this way, doctor, said Stoddard, gesturing toward the limousine at the end of the canopy. They moved into the car and it sped away from the canopy, past the large brown hangar, and toward the administration building. The administration room was abuzz with speculation and downright shock. Calling a meeting so abruptly and at such a late hour was not a normal procedure. Adding to the excitement was the knowledge that Dr. Savad was flying in from his deep space station. The consensus among the group hinted to it some kind of pep talk prior to launch. Something to make them perform at peak efficiency. Hardly what they needed. All systems had been thoroughly checked for weeks. Everything was in perfect working order, ready for launch. The meeting was ready to commence. Sergeant and his men set up the computers and tied them into the wide screen at the front of the room. Stoddard entered the room ahead of Barrett and Savard. Upon seeing the world-famous doctor, everyone rose to their feet and started a warm round of applause. Savard smiled briefly, not a man who cherished publicity or adoration, and nodded his head as he stood next to Stoddard. I assume the applause is for me because I called this meeting at one o'clock in the morning, said the director, and they laughed. Seriously, I want to apologize for the late hour. I personally selected the participants involved in this discussion tonight. I know that all of you will be objective in your thoughts and opinions. You can help me to formulate the decision that has to be made tonight. And secondly, you will pick because you can keep your mouth shut, he said as they chuckled. Now we know why Kellogg isn't here, yelled one of the technicians up back. Even started, thought the remark was humorous. Right, I must not understate that this is a closed session. No breach of security. What you will hear tonight is utterly fantastic. Public knowledge of these events could cause widespread panic and needless pain, and quite possibly even a loss of life. So I will emphasize once again, you are not to break security, he said. He looked over at Savard at the computer terminal. Are you ready, doctor? Any time, Mr. Director, he answered, not looking up. Was already working. Good, Dr. Savard of course needs no introduction. His work in the area of astrophysics has been unparalleled in modern times. He's won two Nobel prizes. He makes his home nowadays in deep space on research station 19. In deep space he literally has a unique perspective on the universe not available to anyone on earth. Dr. Savard has told us on more than one occasion that science has an answer. Let us try to formulate some of those answers here tonight. Dr. Savard? Savard stood. He ran his finger around the inside of his turtleneck. Seemingly immune from Stoddard's craze, he routinely pushed several buttons and then motioned for Barrett to shut off the lights. The front screen was filled with a clear image of deep space, the stars shining brightly. We are looking at a skin of Quadrant 5598A. Five, five, Deep within the constellation Leo. This is a normal image and was taken by the computer and enhances exactly 48 hours ago. First, we must watch the image. The tape will be running slowly, so let me explain exactly what we do at RS19. Savard went into a long discussion of the technical aspects of all his telescopes and energy-enhancing devices. The image remained relatively the same during his half-hour lecture on the finer points of deep-space viewing. Most everyone was growing tired, wondering why they were sitting in the administration room at 1.30 in the morning. Now, as you can see, and as I have indicated, we can see a hundred times deeper into space than any Earth-bound telescope. The image is moving, he said, looking at the screen. You will be able to notice a change momentarily. The million-dollar question is upon us, and I hope it will wake you all up. We have discovered, in this region of space, something that has been theorized since the turn of the 20th century. Up to that time, it's just been theory. There's never been any evidence to substantiate the concepts. I'm talking about a pulsating distortion. Are you saying... You've actually seen a pulsating distortion?" shouted a doctor at the back of the room. Exactly. Hallmark in astronomy. Let me tell you what I mean by this. For the thousands of years, men have wondered and speculated about the universe itself, but not till recently did we start talking about dimensional cracks in the universe. At first, such discussion was considered in the realm of science fiction now it is science fact. Savard turned toward the screen and with a tiny illuminated pointer, sent it in on the changing image. A very thin veined line of light was spreading outward in front of the stars. Is that it? Asked the bearded flight director, Frank Winder. Yes, we are viewing an actual tape of the distortion as it unfolded 48 days ago. Not just a crack, but a massive complex system of cracks spread over thousands of light years directly from the dimension that holds this universe together. The important and most pertinent concept is the fact of pulsation. This phenomenon wavers like a lamp during a thunderstorm, and at times the entire distortion actually fades from you, as if it were never there." Asked, "'What does this mean to Earth?' asked the woman next to Winder. "'Means very little,' he said, looking at Stoddard. "'In my opinion, this network looks relatively small, and distances can be very deceiving. It's very, very vast. Are you saying that this thing is moving toward us? asked another man. A combination of facts, but overall we're moving toward it at high velocity. basically stationary, however it does have its moments. The arms wander and change constantly. Does it have forward velocity? asked Winder. What would happen if the thing hit a star system? Please, I assure you, your concerns are unwarranted," said Sivad. The distortion was becoming brighter and wavering on and off. Please watch the right side of the screen. It will fade out there. It has entered a secondary phase, perhaps. It has retreated back into the dimension that holds this universe together. Now watch closely, because this is very short, there," he said as the distortion blinked back on. Several stars were now blocked from view. Oh, "'Where where are the stars?' asked the skeptical Winder. "'The entire irregular system passed through the distortion in the secondary phase with no ill effects. "'Radiation levels and planetary displacement remained nominal.' Then they were very lucky,' said Winder. "'But I'm concerned about our solar system, and you didn't answer my question. "'Has it any forward velocity, and what if it does come flying through here, "'flying through here in it's, its on phase?' I'm not entirely sure, confessed Savant. The energy levels are extremely high. You see, the universe is actually sitting on these other dimensions. Doctor, I have the uh, utmost respect for your work, but just answer the question. Hundreds of stars have passed through the distortion in its primary phase. What happens to any object when it blinks out? The universe resumes its normal shape and density. All the readings are normal, Frank. And the forward velocity? Sometimes, yes, it does move erratically on its own. <laughs> and you, Walter, want us to launch the SRT with this thing lurking out there? Can I say something? Asked the man in back of Winder. Ah, please do, Craig, Sid started. While well, I share Frank's concerns, it's all quite academic. If that thing gets anywhere near Earth, it won't matter whether the SRT is in space or sitting here at the spaceport. that's my opinion exactly said barrett from the far side of the room if we go it goes and vice versa let me make one thing clear interrupted savard the distortion is growing quite large Even though it appears as though the distortion is moving right for us, I must assure you we will pass several hundred light-years from any of its arms. There's nothing to worry about. I've interrupted, I've instructed the computers, using all available data to calculate the odds. They're over a million to one. (laughs) A million to one, laughed Winder. You sure have all the figures, all the right answers. Walter, I can understand your position, but... You want us to just trust the doctor. What if Sabah doesn't have all the facts? This whole thing seems quite erratic to me. Frank, the doctor is on top of the situation, argued Barrett. I suppose you know better. I only know this business sounds very risky. Stoddard stepped up front. The argument put forth says if the distortion hits us, everything will be wiped out. My question relates to one of those arms. It looks like tentacles. What if just part of the distortion came within our vicinity? Each of those arms, Mr. Director, is 500 AUs in diameter. 500 AUs, questioned Winder. Why, that's enormous. Precisely, nothing will be affected if the distortion does not change direction radically. you just told us it's erratic, said Winder. You're being totally melodramatic about this, Frank, said a man behind him. You can't just stop everything because of some unlikely possibility. I would like to delay the launch, Craig, said Winder bluntly, at least until this thing passes by when there's absolutely no chance of it doing anything to the SRT. Frank, said someone else in back, the Earth could crack open on the runway with the same odds. Oh, that's great, Chuck. Real, real good example. All right, all right, hold it. Yelp started. I wanted this thing to be a discussion, not a free-for-all. Frank, let's see this for what it is. Like you said, it's new, and because it's new, it seems worse than it really is. I felt as though we should know what's going on before we launch the SRT. And we all respect you for it, Walter, said another man. I can see you had your mind made up before you even sat down in the room, said Winder. You didn't want a discussion. You wanted a rubber stamp. And you and you alone wouldn't be on the hook for this. There'll be no hook to be on because none of our words will ever leave this room, started said angrily. Maybe I feel a little uneasy discussing the fate of the world. The whole thing is still up in the air, if you ask me. It pulses and then it doesn't pulse. It could show up out of nowhere that has not been proven said Savard as he too became upset how can you raise all your objections mr winder when you don't have the facts to back them up none whatsoever you're quite ignorant of the technical aspects of this whole thing any fool can see he said as he tried to regain his composure i have devoted five years of my life to research deep space. I think Frank was just trying to get out the facts, said started. That will end it. You're all aware of what the doctor has said. You know as much as I do. "'And you've heard about all the opposing arguments,' he said, sneering at Winder. "'I personally am at a loss to agree with any of those concerns. "'I see no problem in letting the countdown proceed. "'So I will ask you all if you have any objections "'to launching the short-range transport on Sunday morning.' "'Winder, breathing rapidly, tapped his fingers on the desk. "'He knew his position was hopeless, but he had to speak up. "'I object, Walter. I object to all the possibilities.' If you want to launch the damn thing, then go ahead. I don't need anybody's approval. My words were on the record. God help you if anything goes wrong. Winder, Peter, please, Sid started. Your objection has been noted, Frank, and I thank you for it. Now, as a further demonstration of his confidence in the mission, Dr. Savad has agreed to be on the flight of the SRT during the entire ten days. I'm sure this will further boost our credibility. "'I look forward to it,' said Savard. "'Once again, this meeting is classified,' said started. "'The SRT countdown will continue and will launch on Sunday morning. "'Thank you all for coming here, and thank you all for listening. "'Good night.'" <laughs> Barrett walked directly over to Stoddard as the meeting broke up. "'This just added to our problems, Walter,' he said, "'looking over at Winder, looking over at Winder. "'Possibly Peter?' Anson started as he moved towards van. The winder was not through. Walter! Yes, Frank, what is it? I just wanted to tell you, there'll be no breach of security. Well, that's encouraging, Frank, I'm glad you agree. I only agree about the security. Go home, Walter, get a good night's sleep. If anything goes wrong with that SRT, just remember your ass is covered. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ramdamas Kingdom, Who is He Who Commands the Masses?